0: Well, as I mentioned uh, on Sunday in our evening sessions, uh, my hope is to kind of tag in and tie into the Olympic theme a bit and to deal with some of the uh, themes, passages, topics that uh, relate to sports. Some of you are a sports fan and you're all over this. Others of you are thinking, I could care less about sports. I'm not watching any of the Olympics but I can tell you, if you're a Christian, these things still apply to you because everything I'm going to pull out comes from God's Word, not from the CBC or uh, NBC or whoever's doing the sports. But uh, I, I do have to confess right off the top that the Olympics, as I mentioned a little earlier, for our family is a bit of a national holiday. We, uh, we become... Um, unapologetic couch potatoes as much as we can during the couple weeks of the Olympics. usually can't do it a lot, but we'll catch the evening uh, recaps and uh, root for Canada. We're dual citizens, so uh, someone asked me tonight, do you root for the U.S. or Canada? And my answer was yes. And Linda's answer is, it depends on the person. You know, when they show you the backstory about the person, sometimes you fall in love with this athlete, and you just say, "I'm rooting for you." And so uh, we kind of follow both countries. And uh, it's interesting to me that the the Bible actually has a number of places where the writers of Scripture were inspired by God to dip into athletic metaphors to make spiritual points. And so that's what I'm hoping we can do in our evenings together. And to start off tonight, I want to start off by telling you something that happens every Olympics at the very start. If you watch the opening ceremonies, we didn't see that this year, but there is a part of the opening ceremonies that they do every Olympics. It actually began, I'm told, back in 1920, this tradition in uh, Belgium, and toward Belgium when they had the Olympics there. And that is the tradition of having the athletes take the Olympic oath. If you've seen it, uh, at least how I've seen it happen, one of the athletes, usually a representative from the host nation, in this case Brazil, will come and uh, hang on to one corner of the Olympic flag, the big white flag with the five colored rings. And then that athlete will, on behalf of all the athletes, say this. Listen, this is the Olympic oath that they take. In the name of all the competitors, I promise that we shall take part in these Olympic Games, respecting and abiding by the rules which govern them, committing ourselves to a sport without doping and without drugs, in the true spirit of sportsmanship, for the glory of sport and the honor of our teams. So that's the oath that one person takes on behalf of all the athletes. Now, judging by some of the scandals that have plagued the Olympics, not everyone who takes that oath evidently takes it sincerely. Uh, if you've followed the Olympic movement, they've been tarnished by the widespread doping. Most recently, uh, the Russian Federation was, was kind of caught red-handed doing a whole bunch of dirty things on high levels, and it almost got them booted out of the whole Olympics. And some of their athletes are being booed this year because people are thinking, you guys are cheaters. But, you know, it's not just the Russians. If you go on the, on the Internet and look it up, from the 2012 London Games, there's a list of over a dozen countries and athletes from those countries who were disbarred, who were stripped of their medals afterwards because they were caught doping. Even in our own country here, we have a kind of a rather infamous example. Uh, who is that? Who are you thinking? You thinking who I'm thinking? Ben Johnson, right? They're like the fastest guy in the world, we thought. Indeed, he ran fast, but unfortunately, he didn't play by the rules. He didn't follow the oath. Now, it's interesting that that idea of playing by the rules in athletic contests is not recent. It didn't just start in 1920 in Belgium. Did you know that in the biblical times, when Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote using athletic metaphors, he understood that athletes were committed to playing by the rules or they'd be disqualified. He knew that in the games of his day, the the Isthmus games, and even the, the beginning of our modern Olympic games, you had to play by the rules or you were disqualified. And there's a passage where Paul uses this idea of playing by the rules, speaking in sports terms to make a spiritual point. And that's where I want us to start tonight. If the Olympic athletes start by being reminded that you have to play by the rules, tonight we're going to see a passage that calls us as Christians who are involved in serving the Lord, that we have to serve by the rules, play by the rules in ministry. And the passage that I'm referencing is found in the book of 2 Timothy. So would you join me there in the New Testament book of 2 Timothy? Tonight we're going to be in chapter 2. Chapter 2, and I want to talk to you about playing by the rules when it comes to serving the Lord. And I want to talk to you about that because if you and I don't get this message and take it to heart we could find ourselves to be spiritual Ben Johnsons. We could be actually gifted and seemingly successful, but ultimately disqualified from the prize that God wants to give those who serve him in ministry. So the stakes are rather high here, much higher than at the Olympic Games, actually. They're eternally high. Tonight we want to hear what the Bible has to say to us. And here's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping that tonight you will take stock of your life. Tonight I'm going to walk you through what I believe Paul says right here in chapter 2 are the biblical standards by which God expects all of us to live by and live under if we're going to serve Him effectively. And I'm hoping you'll do a bit of an audit, a bit of a personal check as well as I'm hoping you'll think about the people you are mentoring, whether it's your children, whether it's your grandchildren, whether it's other younger people in ministry, and you'll be thinking about how can I instill these things into them so that they don't flame out and end up disqualified in serving the Lord. So this is for us, and this is for others. Tonight I want to talk to you about serving by the rules or playing by the rules in God's ministry. Let me pray, and then we'll look at it. Father, I, I would ask tonight that your spirit would take your word and you would make it plain to us, help me to do, um, with your help, help me to do a good job in just presenting what your word says. And then would you allow us to be receptive to what it says so that we can understand, heed, and even teach it to others. And I pray this in your name. Amen. We're going to cover a fair bit of ground tonight, but we're going to focus on one verse. But to get to that, let me read the first seven verses of 2 Timothy chapter 2. Follow along, please. Paul writes this, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. The hard-working farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I am saying For the Lord will give you insight into all of this. So as you know, Paul here is writing to his young protege, his understudy, Timothy. And he begins in verse 1 by reminding Timothy of the resources that are going to help him in ministry. The grace of God. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Paul says, Timothy, I know this is what I'm about to ask you to do. It's pretty hard stuff. But remember, God's grace can be sufficient for you. It can give you strength. And then in verse 2, he reminds Timothy of his assignment, This is essentially the assignment all of us have in ministry. Look at it in verse 2. The things you've heard me say, so what you have learned, the scripture you've learned, entrust to reliable men, and we would say also reliable women, who will be qualified to teach others. The essence of ministry is disciple-making. It's taking the things that God has given to us through His Word and finding other people and giving it to them so that they in turn can give it to others. It's the extension of what Jesus said in Matthew 28. Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. So Paul says, Hey Timothy, remember God's grace, remember your assignment. You're there to raise up other people who will serve the Lord. Then what Paul does in verses 3 through verse 7 is he gives him, not after the assignment, he gives him three word pictures. Three pictures that are both a motivation, inspiration, and and an instruction. He says, Timothy, Timothy, let me fire you up for your calling by giving you these three analogies, three word pictures. This will show you what it's gonna take for you to do your ministry, and by the way, these same three things is what you wanna train into the people you disciple. He gives them three pictures, and you know the pictures. Verses three and four, it's the picture of a soldier. Verse five, the picture of an athlete. And verse six, the picture of a farmer. And then verse 7, he says, hey, Timothy, think about what I've said, and the Lord will give you insight. Essentially, what he's saying is, Timothy, if you think about this, you're going to realize that to do your ministry well, you are going to need the mentality of a soldier. You're willing to suffer hardship. And you're going to need the integrity of an athlete. You're willing to play by the rules. And you're going to need the industry of a farmer. You're going to need to work hard. Now, each of those pictures would be worth us spending a whole evening just thinking about. But tonight, I'm going to highlight just the middle one, the athlete. We're going to focus on the fact that you have to, Paul says, you need the integrity of an athlete who plays by the rules. And what we're going to see tonight, Paul's making a spiritual point. Let me give you the point right up front. Everything I say is going to hinge off this. This is what I think the point of that verse, verse 5, is. It's simply this. To receive God's reward in ministry, you have to play by God's rules. I think that's what Paul is telling Timothy. You boil it all down. To receive God's reward, the victor's crown, God's reward for ministry, for serving him, whether you do that vocationally or whether you do that as a committed layperson, to receive God's commendation, his award, His reward for ministry, you've got to play by his rules. You say, well, what does that mean? Well, that's what we want to think about tonight. What do we mean, play by God's rules? In fact, we often, as evangelicals, often say we're not about rules. We're about relationship. And when it comes to the core of our faith, that's true. Christianity is not just a series of rules that you try to keep. Christianity is relating to God through Christ. But when it comes to ministry... God does have rules when it comes to life. He does have standards. He does have expectations. He does have requirements. And if you want to receive God's reward for serving him, you've got to play by his rules. So what I'd like us to do tonight is to reflect, what does that mean? What is is Paul talking about? And by looking at the broader context of chapter 2, I think we're going to get an answer. You see, when it comes to the rules of ministry, I think you could make a case that you could put all of the rules in one of two categories, okay? So all the rules for ministry can be put in one of two categories. I get these two categories from 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16. You want to flip back there? You'll see where we're going to go. Just a page back, 1 Timothy 4, 16, I think Paul gives the two categories for all Christian ministry standards or rules. 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 16. Look what Paul says. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Did you see the two categories there? What were they? Watch your what? Your life and your doctrine, your teaching. So I think if you, if you say, what are the ministry rules, you can put them in one of two categories. They're, even requirement, they're either requirements or rules that relate to your life, your lifestyle, how you live, how you behave, or they relate to your teaching, your doctrine, what you believe. And if you're going to receive God's rewarded ministry, you've got you to play by his rules. When it comes to for your life and for your doctrine, So what I want to do tonight is to show you how in chapter 2, if you go back to our passage, 2 Timothy chapter 2, I think Paul explains what God expects in these two areas, your life and your doctrine, your behavior and your beliefs. And so what I want us to do is work through a good section of chapter two and get clear on what is the expectation God has for you. What is the expectation God has for me? What do I need to do to make sure I'm not disqualified as I seek to serve the Lord? How do I guard my life and my doctrine? So let's say you ready to go at that? Let's take a look at it. Look with me at chapter two. And if you pick it up in verse 14 down to the end of the chapter, I think Paul deals with both areas, your life and your doctrine. And he starts off in the area of doctrine, verses 14 through 19. He's going to talk about these are God's rules. You're going to play by his rules. These are God's rules in the area of your doctrine, your teaching, your beliefs. Let me read them, uh, verses 14 to 19, and explain them a little bit. Verse 14. Keep reminding them of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter, because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have wandered away from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place, and they destroy the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm. Sealed with this inscription, The Lord knows those who are His And everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. In those verses, Paul Paul focuses on the teaching or the doctrine that's required of Timothy and required of all of us who want to serve the Lord. So if I had to summarize verses 14 through 19 and tell you, okay, what is God's rule when it comes to your doctrine? How, how do you play by his rules in the area of your teaching? Here's my quick summary of verses 14 to 19. Here's how you could put the, the rule, if you will, in one sentence. God's rule when it comes to your doctrine, your teaching, your belief is this. I'd put it this way. Get clear on God's truth and stay clear of error. That's the expectation that God has for those who are serving Him when it comes to their doctrine. Get clear on God's truth and stay clear of error. If you're going to play by the rules, you've got to get clear on the truth and then you've got to stay clear of error. That's what Paul is telling Timothy. Starts off by saying, Timothy, Timothy, here's what you got to, got to be an athlete, plays by the rules. You got to get clear on God's truth, stay clear of error. Let's talk about getting clear on God's truth. He highlights that in verse 15. Did you see it? "Do Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. He's saying, Timothy, Here's what I need you to do. And Timothy, as you train other faithful men and women, you got to teach them to do. They have to, they have to get clear on God's truth. They have to correctly handle the word of truth. The New Testament uh, language that Paul uses, the Greek phrases literally mean to cut straight God's truth, to cut it straight. The idea is that here's God's word and you're not just kind of hacking it up. You're cutting a straight path. You're understanding it. You're dividing it uh, the old King James says, rightly dividing the word of truth, right? You're cutting it straight. And Paul's telling Timothy, you've got to get clear on God's truth. In fact, Timothy, this is going to take your very best efforts. Verse 15 begins, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed. Paul is saying, Timothy, if you're going to get clear on God's truth, you're going to have to work at this. You've got to see yourself as a workman. And you want to be a workman who doesn't do shoddy work with God's word. So you're going to have to do your best to cut it straight, to rightly divide it, to understand it. Some of you here have worked in trades uh, where you have, you in your trade, you would do something, maybe it was with wood, maybe it was with metal, maybe it's building trades. Some of you know all about this. And your are kind of your, evaluation comes with the quality of your investment, your workmanship. So if you make something, you're a cabinet maker, you make a cabinet, you don't want to be the guy who brings the cabinet in and then have some uh, customers say, you know, this just seems really shoddily made, this is poorly made. Well, Paul says, Timothy, you're working with something more important than just wood, or building a house, you're working with God's word, and you're going to need to do your best to be able to handle God's truth accurately. Get clear on it, Timothy. So here's what I would say, application to me, application to you. You want to serve the Lord? You want to play by his rules? You're going to have to work hard to get clear on his truth. You say, well, how do I do that? Well, you, you already know how you do that. It involves spending time in this book. In fact, the King James version of verse 15 says, "Study to show yourself approved unto God." That may not be the best translation, but it's it's a very good application of what the text is saying. He's saying you've got to invest yourself. You need to be a student of this book so you start to get clear on it. You study it, you read it. You get in other groups where you can study it together. You know, I was thinking about those of you at Fair Havens. I just want to commend you. Here you are spending your holidays coming to a place where you're at church. Some people would go, man, don't you go to church enough already on Sundays? Now you're going to church on what, Monday night? Who's at church on Monday nights? Well, obviously you are, and some of you are here because you say, I want to hear God's word. I want to know God's word. I'm reading it. I'm listening to it. I'm studying it. I would encourage you in your personal reading to, as you go through a year, to not just read the books that seem easy to you. Read some chewy ones, some doctrinally chewy books. Find a book that's going to challenge you by an author who teaches God's Word and say, you know what, this is not the easiest, this is not low-hanging fruit here. It's causing me to stretch to understand it. But every year, push yourself to learn God's truth. See, if you're going to play by His rules, you have to get clear on His truth. I work at uh, Heritage College and Seminary, and I always tell our incoming students, and I'll do, we have a new batch coming in in a couple weeks, and I will say to them on uh, kind of day one, I'll say to all these fresh college students, some of them who went through high school just on their charm and good looks, uh, to be honest, they didn't crack a book through high school, maybe they're naturally a bit bright, and so they just waltz in, and they think, they think Heritage is going to be kind of like summer camp uh, with, with chapel every day or something, So I'll say to them, you know what, we make no apology here for being academically rigorous in what we ask of you when it comes to learning how to study God's word. We're really serious about that because we believe this book is God's book. And we believe that your life in ministry is going to be directly correlated to how well you know this book and love this book and internalize this book and live this book. And just as I would say that to incoming students at Heritage, I'd say that to all of you. Your effectiveness in ministry, playing by the rules, is going to be directly linked to getting clear on God's truth. Do not take that casually. So get clear on God's truth, that's part of it. But the back half, do you remember what I said? The rule when it comes to your doctrine, get clear on God's truth, but stay clear of error. The backside of this same rule, the flip side of the coin, is get clear on God's truth, stay clear of error. That comes out in these same verses that we just read 2 Timothy 2, verses 14 to 19. Did you notice how, interspersed there, surrounding this emphasis on studying and knowing God's word, Paul warns Timothy about getting bogged down or, or getting hoodwinked by error? Look at verse 14. Keep reminding them of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It's of no value and only ruins those who listen. Look down at verse 16. Avoid godless chatter, because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have wandered away from the truth. Paul's saying, here's a couple guys who got Disqualified. They failed the the doctrinal drug test, right? They got stripped of their medals. They used to be teachers, but they wandered away from the truth. By the way, it's interesting. Sometimes we think, well, really, really, how how serious is it if somebody's kind of off on their teaching? What do you think Paul would say of that? He'd say, like, it's really serious. In fact, look what he says about Hymenaeus and Philetus. By the way, he names names here, Right? how would you like to be Hymenaeus and Philetus? You could say, I made the Bible. (laughs) Yeah, but not in a good way, right? He says, look look what he says in verse 18. They say that the resurrection has already taken place. Evidently, they were arguing for some kind of realized eschatology, like the new age, the coming age has already come. Resurrection is here. They have some kind of aberrant view. And Paul says in verse 18, they destroy the faith of, of some. You know what false teaching can do? It can destroy people's faith. Like this the stakes are really high. And so what I would say to you is this, you want to play by God's rule when it comes to the area of your doctrine, what you believe, what you teach, you got to get clear on his truth and stay clear of error. This summer Linda and I were out in Seattle, Washington and uh, on our we had an anniversary out there so we went down to the uh, Pike Street pier there and we're having dinner and there was a fella on the table next to us all by himself so we struck up a conversation and nice nice young guy uh, he was a stanford grad married to a singaporean young lady he's living in singapore running a country so we got talking and he found out it was our uh, anniversary and he asked me what i do and, I, and we told him that we're believers we're christians and he says you know i'm a christian and so we get talking and sure enough this guy had become a believer he's involved in an evangelical Anglican church in Singapore and he's running a business but he has a passion for his church but here's the important thing that I thought was amazing at the end of the night he looks at me knowing that I'm a seminary president and he says this Don't budge on the word <laughs> Isn't that interesting? He, as a lay guy, was looking to me and saying, listen, 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 don't budge on the word. You see, it's very easy for schools, for churches to budge on the word, to tone things down, to wander away from things. And he was saying, as a guy who's committed in his church, listen, we're counting on you. The people you're turning out who are going to be our pastors, they need to be true to the word. So please, don't you budge on the word. Charles Hodge, who was an eminent uh, Christian theologian of a previous generation, taught all kinds of seminarians in his day. Charles Hodge is famous or infamous. Some people hate this statement. I love it. Charles Hodge said this, I never had an original idea. Here he is, this theologian, this eminent theologian, wrote books and books and books. I never had an original idea. He said, what I tried to do was just to be faithful in explaining God's ideas. So he's not in there making up novel things. He's not trying to come up with the latest and greatest, something no one's ever heard of. He's trying to just tell people, this is what God's book says. I don't have to be original. I have to be faithful. So when it comes to playing by God's rules, you want his reward? Get clear on the truth. Stay clear of error. That's the first thing. That's in the area of your doctrine. But there's a second area. And frankly, this one takes out more people in our circles than the first one. Yes, we do have our Hymenaeus and Philetus in our movement that wander for the truth, but I'll tell you what, we have way more people who are like Demas, mentioned in chapter four, who just kind of blow up and fade out because their life crumbles. And so Paul talks to Timothy about playing by God's rule when it comes to his life, and he does that in verses twenty down through the end of the chapter. So let me read that for you. Look at verse 20, please. In a large house, there are articles, not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for noble purposes and some for ignoble. If a man cleanses himself from the latter, he will be an instrument for noble purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Let me just stop right there. I think that when you say, what are the rules that God has for people who are serving him when it comes to your life? Well, I'd put it this way. We've already said when it comes to your doctrine, get clear on truth, stay clear of error. When it comes to your life, What would be God's rules? What comes out of verses 20 down through at least verse 23? I'd put it this way. God's rule for our life would be this. Get clean in God's sight and stay clean in God's service. Get clean, stay clean. Get clean in his sight, stay clean in his service. That's kind of what God expects of those who are his ministers, whether they're vocational or whether they're just volunteers. Get clean in his sight, stay clean in his service. Let me unpackage that. Get clean in his sight comes out of verses 20 and 21. I love this. He uses this picture of a large house. Did you catch that? In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for noble purposes, some for ignoble. In other words, some of the containers you use for noble things, like um, some of the some might be a basket that you put fruit in, some might be a, a bowl that you feed your family with, noble purposes some for ignoble. You might have a container where you put the slop in for the cat or the garbage in, right? So he's saying there's different kind of containers, vessels in a large house. Some are made of gold, silver, some clay, wood. But look at verse 21. If a man cleanses himself from the latter, he will be an instrument for noble purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. Paul is saying this. Here's his analogy. He says, when it comes to the vessels that you have in your house, what makes a vessel useful is its cleanliness. That's what he's saying, right? It's cleanliness. In other words, it doesn't matter as much how costly the vessel is. It matters how clean the vessel is. Let me ask you, would you rather drink out of a silver chalice that had been dropped in the mud or out of a little Walmart glass that had been run through the dishwasher. Like, it's not a contest, is it? You're going, I don't care how costly it is, I want it to be clean. And Paul makes the point to Timothy, he's saying, Timothy, when it comes to God's service, it really doesn't matter as much if you have a golden gift of leadership, or if you have a silver tongue of an orator. What matters most is are you clean in his sight? Because he can use a wood or a clay pot as easily as he can use something made of gold or silver. What matters, Timothy, is is it clean? That's why Paul says in verse 21, if a man cleanses himself from the latter, He will be an instrument for noble purposes, made holy, useful to the masters, prepared to do any good work. Let me ask you, would you like to be useful to the master? Man, you're saying, yes, that's what I want. I want to be useful. Then Paul says, here's how you do it. You got to be clean. You got to get clean. Robert Murray McChain, who was a Scottish preacher from a number of generations ago, said something that I've never gotten out of my heart or out of my head. He was a pastor of a church, and Robert Murray McChain said this, what my people need most is my personal holiness. Isn't that interesting? As a pastor, like what do your people need most? Well, they need your good teaching. They need your excellent leadership. They need your caring shepherding. McShane says, no, no, no. Actually, what they need most is my personal holiness. They need me to be a person who is clean in God's sight. They need me to be surrendered and made useful because I've been set apart for him. And what I want to say to you, my brothers and sisters, some of you here today say, I'm no golden vessel. I'm no silver chalice. I'm at best wood or clay. And I say, that's all right. That's all right. So are all of us. And you have the greatest opportunity to be useful to the master if you're clean in his sight. You say, well, how do I get clean in his sight? Interesting. Verse 21 says something that on the surface is a bit quizzical. Did you catch that? If a man cleanses himself from the ladder, you go, cleanses himself? I thought I thought we were cleansed by Jesus. I didn't think we could clean ourselves. And the answer is, you're right, you can't clean yourself. In the deepest sense, we are forgiven, we are made clean by the blood of Christ. Paul knows that because in chapter 1, he talks in chapter 1 about being saved, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. Paul knows that we are saved, we are clean by, by grace. John puts it this way, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to cleanse us, right? So cleansing comes from God. But catch this, there is an aspect of being clean that does require us to be involved. We do have to come and bring ourselves to the Lord. We do have to repent of our sin. We do have to come and say, Lord, come and fill me, clean me out. See, nobody does that for you. I can't do that for you. You can't do that for me. So if you want to be clean in the master's sight, there is a sense in which you have a huge part to play. You're the one who comes before him and says, Lord, you know me inside and out. And I want to be clean in your sight. I need the blood of Christ applied to my life. I want my life to be right. I've sinned here and I claim the cleansing that comes through Christ's death on the cross. I stand in the gospel, I'm coming again. And and, and if you're a person who loves Christ and serves Christ, you know you and I have to do that regularly. Repentance isn't something we did once when we became a Christian. Repentance is part of the lifestyle of a believer. And it's part of the lifestyle of a healthy minister. We learn to come to the Lord daily and say, Lord, I need your grace again. We sang it tonight. I need you. I need you. Every hour I need you. Lord, I've gotten dirty again today. My thoughts haven't been where they should be. My words were not giving grace. Lord, cleanse me. I'm coming before you. You want to be useful to the master? You got to play by his rules. You got to get clean in God's sight. But you got to stay clean in God's service. And the staying clean is where I want to finish up tonight, because that's where Paul goes in verse 22. He says, Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Timothy, here's what I want you to do you got to get clean and then you stay clean. How do you stay clean? There are three things in verse 22 that are involved in staying clean. I'll touch them really quickly and we're done. How do you stay clean? First thing is you run away from all that's unclean. He says flee. Did you see that verse 22? Flee the evil desires of youth. By the way, I get older and older and I realize that some of the desires of youth that were evil still come at me as an older man, right? Right? Like they don't just kind of say, "Well, now that you're a little older, we're not coming after you." Those same evil desires can hit any of us at any age. And Paul says, "You got to flee those. You have to run away from those." What are those evil desires of youth? Well, 1 Corinthians 6:18 says, "Flee immorality." 1, 1 Corinthians 10:14 says, Free, "Flee idolatry." First Timothy chapter 6 says, "Free from the love flee from the love of money." So here's what I would say to you. You want to stay clean? You need to know the areas that are the biggest are the biggest and hardest and most easily uh, susceptible sins in your life. And you have to say, I'm running away from those things. I'm not sticking around. And I will do whatever it takes in ministry to put up a boundary so that I'm running away. If I know I'm tempted in this area, I'm not going near that area. So I have to run away from all that's unclean but that's, you don't just run away, you run towards what is clean. That's the second thing. Run away from what's unclean, run towards what is godly. Did you see that in verse 22? Flee the evil desires of youth. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Pursue them. The, word, the Greek word is the same word for persecute. It means go after, hunt them down. So here's what you want to do if you want to stay clean. You you put your energies in running after righteousness, running after faith, running after love, running after peace. You actively push yourself to move towards those things. As Paul says in another athletic metaphor that we won't look at, 1 Timothy 4, train yourself for godliness. You're, You're like an athlete and you're pushing yourself. To say, I want to grow in faith. I'm not just going to hover back and play it easy. If God calls me, I'm stepping out. I'm going to pursue peace with people. I'm going to pursue love. So you run away from what's evil. You run towards what's good. And here's the third one. A lot of people miss this one. You run with other runners. Verse 22 says that. Look at the end of verse 22. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Ajith Fernando, who's a wonderful theologian from Sri Lanka, said he read this verse for many, many years and missed the last part. He always thought it was up to him by himself to run away from evil and run towards good. And he said, I came to realize it also says run with other people. In other words, you need brothers and sisters alongside of you who are also going for it. You want to stay clean in ministry? You set your heart to go for it, but you set around you some people who will help you who will hold you accountable, who will pray with you when you're weak, who will kick you in the bum when you are starting to get l- lousy and lazy. People who care enough about you who said, we're not gonna let you go that way. There's more in you than that. So what have we said tonight? You want God's reward in ministry? Well, Paul says in 2 Timothy 2.5, you gotta play by his rules. And the rules tend to fit into one of two areas, your doctrine and your life. When it comes to your doctrine, you got to get clear on God's truth, stay clear of error. And when it comes to life, you got to get clean in God's sight, stay clean in God's service. And if you and I, by His good grace, which the chapter starts with, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, if we will do that, Paul says in chapter 2, verse 5, we have a chance to win the victor's crown. Victor's crown. Paul's days, you know what the Olympians got for winning? They got a little laurel wreath, sometimes made out of uh, olive, sometimes out of laurel, and you've seen pictures of it. They put it around the victor's head. That was more than just a little bit of uh, flowers on your head because it also came with status and significance and success. It was an emblem. Today in the Olympics, they get a gold medal, a bronze medal, a silver medal. Paul says in another place, those athletes, they're, winning for, they're trying to get a perishable crown. We're, we're after something imperishable. You see, the reward that God gives for those who serve him, playing by his rules, is not something that fades away or is only good in this lifetime. It actually is the reward of the well-done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master forever. I hope that like an athlete, you'll say, I'm going for that. I'm going for the gold. I'm going to say, Lord, if you'll help me, I want my life, I want it to be governed and guided and guarded by the rules that you have so that I won't be disqualified, but that one day I'll receive your smile and your reward. I'll know it's by your grace, but I'll be eternally grateful that I gave it my very best. Let me pray for you as we close. Father, I ask that tonight, As Paul said to Timothy, reflect on these things for the Lord will give you insight into all of them. I pray that even as we leave this place, there would be parts of these verses that would stay in our hearts and that we would reflect on them as we lie down in our beds, as we sit tonight, and that if there are some areas you need to speak to us about our life or our doctrine, If there's areas in our doctrine where we have been weak and wobbly because we've not applied ourselves to know your word, Father, I ask that we would surrender our hearts to you and as Paul was telling Timothy, we would do our best to present ourselves to you as workmen who are unashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. Lord, if it's in the area of our life that there are some areas that are weak and wobbly because we've not been really, we've not been watching the the, the purity of our own lives, our thoughts, our words, our deeds. Oh, Lord, tonight convict us, correct us, and strengthen us that we might be men and women who finish our course, complete the race, and receive your commendation. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. In the rest of your evening, you are dismissed.